again, good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 5, which is where we will be today. Um, very exciting day. Once a quarter, in case you're wondering if you're a guest, first time here, once a quarter, we, we do a thing called Celebration Sunday. We celebrate what God's doing at North Point through new lives being transformed, through salvation and baptisms, through new members that are going to be joining, which later at the end of service you'll see. We have five new families joining the church consisting of 16 people. They're saying they want to make North Point officially their home. We've gone all through the requirements. And as well, we do child dedication, which we don't have any this time, but uh, we will do in the future uh, for those that have that. And so uh, if that's something you're interested, know that every quarter, the next one's coming up in September, we're doing. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Whether it be you've been praying about salvation and baptism, maybe you realize you need to do that as, as these people have been faithful to, or joining the church through membership. Our next membership class is August 23rd. You'll hear more about that, but uh, just exciting things going on. As I said earlier, don't forget, we're eating afterwards. Okay, we're Baptists. That's what we do. We celebrate and eat. We celebrate and eat. That, it's like biblical. Okay, Jesus, when he rose people from the dead, Lazarus like, hey, get them some food. Little girl, after he raised from the dead, he said, get her some food. So there's something biblical about that. So please don't leave. Hang out. We're going to eat some grub afterwards. We'd love for you to join us for that. So uh, Luke chapter 5 is where we'll be continuing our series in on mission. I'll explain that in just a second. But I have to tee up today's message with this question. Uh, are, are you the type of person that gets hangry? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? If you just got nudged by the person next to you, that means yes. You may not own it, but that person, like, if you do not eat at a certain time or, or something in your system, you start turning into a different person, right? Uh, there's an old commercial or older commercial from Snickers that says this. So play that commercial maybe to refresh some memory of what the Fourth down, coach. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. I want you to go on the field. Look for anyone with an O. Let's kill them. With kindness. Jimmy, I want you to make balloon animals. Tyler, make little tea cozy. Something fun. Are you okay? <laughs> We will win this for Mother Russia! Coach, eat a Snickers. Why is that you? You get a little loopy when you're hungry. Better. Better. Now let's go for it! Yeah! Go get him, guys! You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Now listen, that might sound like a joke, but that is a real thing right there. I'm telling you right now. Um, I have my, my, my daughter's that way. I have some of my daughters and my wife. As a matter of fact, if they don't eat at certain times, uh, they begin to get hangry. Uh, it's kind of a thing. I can go for a while. My brother actually was the worst growing up when he was a kid. It said, Lord, let there be light. Uh, when he was a kid, uh, he, he would get like, devilish. I mean, it was terrible. Like three, four, five years old, we didn't know what was going on. My parents would spank him, and it would just like multiply the anger, and it would get worse and worse and worse, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, one day, my dad just angry and just says, here. And he had chocolate-covered donuts, you know, those kinds you just buy at the store, you know, whatever. And he just shoved one in his mouth, and he started eating and just immediately turned into a normal child. So I kid you not, for five years of my brother's life, everywhere we went, my parents were carrying a bag of chocolate donuts that if my brother started getting angry, they'd just stuff it in his face to get him to start acting normal again. And you might laugh at it, but it was the magical drug in our house. Like, it was amazing. Like, if he's acting up, like, dude, have you eaten a donut yet? You need to go shove one in your face, like, so you can get better. It's amazing for sometimes how our appetites can get to us, right? How our appetites can sometimes speak louder than our rational thinking. Like, like no matter how much you try to reason with my brother in that moment, he's not going to think like a normal human being. And if you know people like that in your life that get angry, it's, it's the truth. Like, you can talk to them, they just, they can't think rationally until that appetite is appeased, until it's taken care of. You say, well, what are you talking about? Where's the connection to what we're talking about? Well, we're doing a series uh, uh, that's focused on our vision. 
Our vision, as Grant just read off, is part of it, the very last one is multiplying the church. And, and part of multiplying the church is leading people to Christ. It's through salvation. It's through what you saw here. Not only do we believe someday God's going to lead us to plant other churches, we desire to do that, but in the same thing, God has called us to make other believers and to multiply the church. And so the emphasis that we're trying to do is this series called On Mission. And the reality is many of us want to do missions or go and serve in missions but the reality is what missionaries do is what you already have right now. Missionaries go to third world countries to establish relationships, to learn their customs, to earn trust with people just so they can hear the gospel. These are things that you already have with neighbors, with friends, with coworkers, with family that they are trying to go and establish. And the reality is if we would start looking at our life as an everyday mission trip, if I was called to be a missionary, how would I act and behave differently? And so in this new challenge, this series, the four-week series we're going through, I'm challenging you guys to be on mission in your everyday lives and see what God does. I would love the next time we do this, we have such a, we, we have to push back service and maybe even have a dinner meal because we have so many salvations taking place because we took our job seriously. Last week, we talked about seeing, see who needs saved. And how often many of us just look past people and don't realize there's people all around us that need salvation. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people and they go, I just don't know any lost people. And I'm like, man, you must live a really sheltered life. Get out and look. They are everywhere, everywhere. Th this week we're talking about once we've seen, the challenge was to begin to observe and notice in our lives God has placed who need salvation. Th this week I want to take you to the next step, which is this. Serve. Serve to be heard. How, how do we share the gospel? It starts through serving. Now, you, know, you might say, like, why, why do I need to serve to be heard? Uh, I'll quote a guy named Jed Chappell who uh, put together a, a, a mission organization in Oklahoma City called City Center. And he's an inner city guy helping to get reach kids who are struggling. And he, he said this. He goes, we feed kids, we entertain kids, and we do all sorts of stuff to, to uh, curb those appetites. Because here's why. He said, no one is going to hear the truth of a gospel on an empty stomach. You see, when your appetite is so loud, your needs are so loud in your life that, that they're just screaming that you, you can't hear the gospel being spoken. And too often we try to lead with people to go and just tell them about Jesus, which is great, and has the power and effectiveness to reach them and change their life. The reality is most of them have a pressing need in their life that needs to be met first just so it can pave way to be heard. It, it can be so deafening loud. And you're going to see today in Luke chapter 5 how Jesus habitually did this all over Scripture. He would continually go and meet their needs so they could hear the truth of the gospel. And if we would follow that example, we begin to look at people in our lives and say, how, how can I serve you first so that I can earn the right, a platform to tell you about Jesus? What would happen with that? And so Luke chapter 5, hopefully uh, you're there. Luke chapter 5 is about Peter's calling. If you don't know who Peter or Simon Peter, Jesus transformed his name. So I'm going to now call you Peter Petros, the rock which I'm going to build my church. Which comes from Acts 2 where Jesus, after he ascended and left, Peter and the disciples, there was ones left. And Peter stands up and preaches the first sermon of the church and leads some 3,000 people to the Lord. And the church starts because of this guy. But this is where it all started. This is his first calling. And I want you to pay attention as we read how Jesus got his attention. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It says, as the crowds was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land. 
And he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Peter, or, uh, where is it? Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and uh, said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land and left everything and followed him. A, a lot's going on here. A lot's going on here. So let's unpack what exactly is going on here. You start in verse 1. They're, they're fishing. They're fishing. And if anything ever sounds like a fishing story, this is it right here, right? If anybody's ever come back like, oh, yeah, man, I caught one so big, it literally sunk my boat. The nets are like, okay, really, it was like that. It was a minnow, right? Let's not lie about this. But this is the Bible. It's true. <laughs> it's going on here, and it's a true story. And, and they're fishing at this lake. It says Lake Gennesaroth. And some of your translations may say Sea of Galilee. It's two and of the same. Some people call it Lake Gennesaroth because of its location. As a matter of fact, I think we may have a map picture. You can see in the very top left over here, northwest side of Sea of Galilee, was an area known as Gennesaroth. And this is where they're fishing. And many people would call it Lake Gennesaroth in its familiarity. What we most more appropriately know is the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee, just by its size alone, was approximately 13 miles from north to south in length and another 8 miles from east to west, to give you an idea. It covered 64 square miles of land, and its maximum depth was 150 feet. I mean, this was a nice-sized lake that people would often fish, and this was a source of income for these men who were out there fishing. And so we see it's going on. And Jesus comes, and he says he saw two boats at the edge, and what happened? The fishermen were left, and they're washing their nets. They're cleaning up from a day of work. And Jesus, in verse 3, does something interesting. He said he just gets into one of the boats. If we're reading at face value, Jesus is the first pirate. He just commodores his boat and says, I'm, a, I'm the captain now, takes over and starts just manhandling his thing. And it's Simon's boat. He, he's going to take control of everything going on. And he says, push out a little bit out to, uh, so I can talk. It's so interesting. Why does Simon do this? Why does he allow Jesus to commodore his boat and just take over? Uh, we don't entirely know. We know Jesus did this because he had a huge crowd around and back in the time, they didn't have the beautiful uh, Garth Brooks microphone as I got rocking up here. Instead, you had to just project really loudly. And sometimes that was still hard to hear. And so what they would do is they'd get out in the water, and the crowd would stay on the shore. And because of the acoustics of the water and the rocky sides, it allowed them to be heard without having to scream on the top of his lungs. And Jesus takes his boat, and he's teaching. And he's talking, and it doesn't tell us how long he's doing this for. But what I want you to notice that's interesting is the whole time he's teaching, who's in the boat with him? Simon. Simon, who eventually becomes Peter. He's in the boat. He's listening. He's taken in. Jesus finishes in verse 4, and notice what happens. Peter never responds. No, nothing happens. Jesus, the best preacher that ever lived, probably, right, preaches, and no one responds. Peter doesn't respond. Why doesn't he respond to Jesus and what he's saying? Well, I think we'll see what's going on as you keep going on. In verse 4, what happens? It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he says, put out in the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. He, he begins to instruct Peter on how to fish. 
Now, to understand fishing in this time, you've got to understand some of the picture of the, the methods of fishing they had. Most scholars say there's three different forms of fishing they had to help paint a picture of what's going on. One method was called dragnet fishing. They, they would take a fish uh, net that was up to about a football field in length and about 10 feet deep in, in, in its size. You'd take two boats and you'd go and you'd begin just sailing and, and pull uh, the nets in and catch as many fish as you can in this large net and pull it in and get all you could. That, that was one form of fishing they had. Once they pulled it in, you'd have to dry and clean it. They didn't have nylon strings. They'd be made of, uh, uh, of cotton or wool and stuff like that, so it would be very difficult to maintain. A second form was cast net, where they'd take a net and they'd throw it in this giant circle ring, would go down with weights, and it would go down, catch the fish, and they'd pull them back up, which one person can do. Most likely, this is not what they're doing because we know there's multiple boats and multiple people here fishing. But the third form is called trammel net fishing. This is a compound net form where you had three different types of nets with a smaller one in the middle, and fish would swim through and get stuck in the net, and they'd catch them that way. And they would stand on shore <coughs> with paddles, beating the water, trying to scare the fish into this 100-foot net, uh, trying to get them in. And it'd be something they'd do at night because of the nylon strings or, or the uh, cotton fiber strings would be seen during the day. So when you read this story, what do we see? We see there's two boats, and they're cleaning their nets, and they've spent all night fishing. They probably have done this trammel fishing where they're trying to catch and they've had no luck. These are experts in their career. They know what they're doing. They've probably done this their whole life and they've caught nothing. That's what we learn. We see in verse 5. I mean, imagine that. Have you ever had a hard day of work and came back empty-handed? You spent all your time working, 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 and it came off with no payoff whatsoever? You ever had that before? I, I remember in college when I had a paper that I was working and I stayed up almost all night trying to get it done. And I was so excited. I was always oh, exhausted pulling all nighter because I was one of those students uh, trying to get it done last minute. And when I go time to print out, I go and realize that uh, I had exited out and I forgot to save my paper. Yeah, you know the pain. So you've been there too, right? Yeah. Thank the Lord they've gotten wise and they automatically save because there's people like me. And so I get done and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, I've wasted all night on this paper for nothing. For absolutely nothing, wasted all this time, I go tell my professor, but their sympathy is going to be about like that. I'm oh, sorry, we really don't care about that. Get over yourself. You should have thought ahead. Even at a Christian college, they still act that way. I just want you to know. And can I tell you, in those moments, what's the worst things other people could say? You, you know what you should have done, right? Or, or uh, have you tried? I remember Emily, we were married at the time, and I told her I'm so frustrated, which first and foremost, in her abundant grace, which we both share in the household, she said, maybe you shouldn't have waited till the last second. I said, maybe you should, hush. <laughs> no one asked you for your opinion. And then she said, have you tried rebooting it? I'm like, that makes no sense whatsoever, Captain Obvious. Like, what are you talking about? I'm getting so frustrated because she's trying to expert tell me how to do it. And even though she was the one that finished weeks ahead and was on top of it, uh, I failed that paper. But, hey, that's a different story for another day. Why, why is this relevant to the text? Look at what Jesus does in verse 4. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. They're exhausted. They're experts. They're frustrated. And what does Jesus do? Hey, you know, you know what you should do? You, you should go out here in the deep end and just throw your nets to the side. Simon, I mean, imagine hearing that as an expert, and you ever had an amateur try to come tell you how to do your job? You, you know what you should do in this situation? It's exactly what Jesus is a carpenter. We know this from Scripture. He's not a fisherman. And he comes, you know what you should have done here? You know what you should do? Just throw it to the side. You know what he's asking ultimately? 
They, they've spent all night fishing, beating the water, dragging the nets, whatever they're doing, exhausted. They've spent all this time cleaning their nets. Jesus is asking them to start back over. Do you know how much more work Jesus is about to sign them up for, for something he knows nothing about in their eyes? Can you imagine? I, I say this just to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Like, how would you have felt in this moment? And yet, what do we find in verse 5? What, what does Peter say? Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Like, that's about as nice of a way of saying, listen, this is a dumb idea, but you're Jesus, and so I'll do it if you want me to. Are you sure you want me to do this? And he does it anyway. And my question is this, why does Peter do it? Peter has every right right here to go, you don't know what you're talking about, I'm sorry. Uh, my family's been doing this for years, why don't you go back to woodworking, okay? I mean, he has every right to shoot down, but why does he listen? Maybe it's because he believed Jesus could perform miracles. As a matter of fact, you just see before, at the very end of chapter 4 and verse 38, where Jesus comes and Peter's mom is sick, and Jesus proclaims healing over her, and she's healed. Maybe, maybe that's why he believes maybe Jesus could do something. Or maybe, honestly, what I think here is maybe he's just extremely desperate. How are you going to provide for your family? How are you going to go back and tell them, hey, all that work for nothing? How are you going to rally the troops next time when it comes to helping? He's desperate, so I'm willing to try anything. Regardless, I want you to understand this. Listen, Peter's tangible need in this moment was deafening over anything Jesus had to say. Like, no matter what Jesus had to say about the kingdom, about the gospel, about the good works, all sorts of stuff, none of it mattered in that moment because he had no fish. And how is he going to provide and survive? That's all he can hear. That's all he can see in that moment. Desperation often opens up once closed doors. You see, I say we need to serve people because sometimes when people are so desperate, even as an amateur, when you come and just try to help, they sometimes are willing to listen. As a matter of fact, I had that just recently at Falls Creek. At Falls Creek, just a couple weeks ago, we were there. And James Sweeger is on Thursday walking around trying to find keys to his truck, and he can't find them anywhere, which he should have known where he is. And he's not wanting to come tell his dad and get in trouble and get frustrated, get the lecture, you will. So he's trying to find it, and he comes up to me. And he's like, man, I can't find my keys. I don't know what to do. And Pete is there too. And I said, I, I pulled the pastor card. I said, have you tried praying about it? Right? <laughs> Yeah, y'all love that one. He goes, okay, whatever. I said, and I told him, I said, let me tell you another story. I said, last year we did a thing called burgers and baptisms, and we came and did this. And my class planned it, and they put it together, and they're out there, and they got burgers, and they're cooking. And Timmy's out there, and I asked permission for the story with him. And Timmy's out there cooking, and he comes up to me, and he goes, uh, way more people came than expected. We're running out of burgers quick. And I go, uh, he goes, what are we going to do? I said, have you tried praying about it? His response was, ha, ha, yeah, I know, lives, uh, a fish in the loaf sort of thing. Jesus knew anything, but what are we going to do? I said, let's just pray about it. We prayed about it. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Five minutes later, uh, uh, Kevin House comes walking up and goes, hey, I noticed you're getting low on burgers. I brought a brisket just in case in my car. Do you want me to go get it and bring it out? He looks at me, and I just grin and shrug my shoulders. <laughs> hey, listen, Jesus juke right there on you, my friend. That's all I got to say. We get to the end, we have just enough burgers and a whole brisket left over. I tell James that story. James says, yeah, okay, and he walks off. Pete's laughing at me. He goes, hey, thanks for shepherding my son. We're laughing and stuff. Five minutes later, James comes walking up. 
got his head down, face is red. He said, I found my keys. I said, where'd you find them? I said, did you pray about it? He goes, I did. He goes, and oddly enough, it was in my cup holder. I never leave it in my cup holder, but there it was. I said, but you prayed about it, didn't you? Listen, I don't say that to pick on him or beat him up, and I asked him permission in that story too, but here's the thing, listen. In desperation, you will do stuff that you never thought you'd do before just to find a way out. And, and sometimes we try to lead with the gospel, and the gospel is powerful, and it has the capability of breaking through any walls. But if we look past the immediate tangible needs, sometimes we'll never be heard. And when it comes to your neighbors, when it comes to people in your life, if we're looking at trying to share the gospel with them first and neglect the spiritual, the practical need right in front of them, we're going to miss a great opportunity. Well, let me ask you like this. Do you allow God to show up in tangible ways through you? In, in your life, have you said, hey, God, I don't know what you're going to do here, but it, use me. What, what can I do? I'm not an expert in fishing, but have you tried this side? I'll, I'll come help. Have you tried just allowing God to be glorified? And I'm not even saying using your expertise at times. I'm not saying if you're a gifted carpenter, go start recarpeting people's house and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying show up and allow the Lord to work through you so God can get the credit. But it starts with tangible needs. I love, he does this, and what happens? It says they begin to pull in the fish. And how many fish? This sounds like a fish story right here, right? He begins to pull in so many that the net literally starts to tear and begins to, and he calls the other people, and it begins to sink their boat. I try to Google how many fish that was. No one knows. It was a lot. I just want to know. A lot of fish, they start sinking. This is a life changing situation for Peter right now. This is a story right now that not only will he tell his kids and kids and kids forever, but others will tell because they witness what's going on, man. You remember that time Peter caught all those fish? We've never seen anything like that before. But it started with a tangible need, and everyone got to be a part of it. And I love what happens in verse 8. Look what happens. It said, when Peter, Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Why is Peter suddenly listening? Why is it? It's because Jesus has silenced his tangible need. He can finally hear. His stomach's not groaning, so he's not hangry anymore, and suddenly he's listening to the real need. A lot of us are trying to chase brokenness in the world by fixing it with things that was never meant to be fixed with. Your brokenness might be resources. Your brokenness might be your marriage. Your brokenness might be other things, addiction in your life. Man, if I could just get this fixed, my life would be good. But the reality is the source is Jesus Christ that really saves us and fixes us. And sometimes we get so blinded to that we can't hear it. Peter, in this moment, now realizes his spiritual need. And notice what happens very next in verse 10. Peter realizes who he is and who Jesus is. He sees Jesus. And in verse 10 it says this. Don't be afraid, Jesus told him. From now on, you'll be catching people. We learn from other gospels that he says, come follow me. And, and Peter leaves everything. Peter leaves everything. Notice the timing of his ask. What, what would have happened if Jesus had done this in verse 3 instead of verse 10? Would Peter have, got, would Peter have left everything? I don't know. I can't help but assume because his need was so pressing at the moment, he'd probably never listen to Jesus. He said, yeah, yeah, I don't got time for that. I got fish to take care of. I don't have time. I can't do that. Jesus waits for the opportune time until his needs are satisfied. Say, listen, have you thought about who I am and what I'm doing? See, the big idea is this. We serve to be heard. So when it comes to reaching people in your life, how can you meet their practical needs? 
How, how can you serve them with the purpose of being heard so that they can hear the gospel? And notice what happens as a result. Verse 11, it says this, Then they brought the boats to land and left everything and followed him. They left everything. They left the fish. They left the boats. They left everything. They left it all behind. Can I tell you something? Listen, Peter doesn't care about the fish anymore. Peter doesn't care about the boats anymore. He's found something greater. But if he never got to the fish point, he would have never saw and seen Jesus. The fish were, was a tool used by God to get his attention. And God often surrounds us with tools to get people's attention. Well, let me just ask you this. Listen, what tools has God given you? What would it take for you just to go, hey, can I help you with this? I, I see your need. I, I see you haven't mowed your lawn in a while. Can I, can I meet this need? It, hey, are you struggling? Is there anything I can do? You need help with the kids? Like, they can come hang out at my house if you want to with our kids. What, what can you do to meet a tangible need to suddenly for them to listen to what you have to say? There's an old adage that has been said time and time again. It's this. No one cares what you know until they know that you care. When people see that all we want is just to shove the gospel in their face and walk away, listen, they'll say, take, take your sales pitch somewhere else. But when we stay, we invest, we care, we meet tangible needs, listen, we suddenly have a captive audience that says, listen, I, I want to see this Jesus you're talking about. And, and so here, here's my challenge this week. Last week is to see someone, to, to start looking, all those sorts of things. But here, here's a challenge this week, right now. Look for tangible needs. The people that you're thinking about, the people that you began to see last week that you saw and said, hey, you know what, I'm suddenly realizing those people around me, begin to look, what are their tangible needs? Second thing is this, is meet a tangible need. Once you see it, try. I don't care if you're an expert, just try. Say, hey, is there anything I can do? Can I come help? And, and sometimes we want to wait and ask permission rather than just go and do it. I've learned that sometimes when you go and tell people, hey, can I help you, their response is always going to be No. But when you show up and just do it, the response is always yes. And man, you are the blessing and answer to a prayer I needed. Whether it's pride or whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but time and time again, we, we wait too much. And the last thing is this, is use the tangible need. Too often we stop at the second point. We meet the tangible need, but we don't use it to share the gospel now. We think because I've given them a warm cup of coffee, they're going to know everything about the gospel. And the reality is we have to actually tell them the gospel at some point. How can God use you this week to serve to be heard? If, if you were on a mission trip, how could you make that opportunity known? If I, if I could just meet this one tangible need in your life right now, to silence that thing so you could realize your deeper spiritual need, what would happen? I'll share a closing story. Um, I was a student minister at New Beginnings Church in Shawnee uh, right out of high school. So I started in 04 all the way through 08. I served this church while I was in college. And we planned a mission trip to Gulfport, Mississippi, right after Hurricane Katrina hit. Decided to do it. The pastor was one of those kinds. that was like, hey, Grant, you don't look like you're doing anything. Why don't you go do a mission trip? And just like that. And suddenly you're in charge. He did that to me uh, one Sunday. He was like, hey, Eric, hey, I think it would be great for youth to plan a mission trip to Gulfport or Mississippi. Why don't you all go? And so I got stuck planning a mission trip to Gulfport, Mississippi. We took a scouting trip, went out there, me and two other guys, to go and search and research the place. We found a place, found a location, did everything, did all our work, bought all the supplies, everything. We took a group out there of students and adults when we went to go serve, and when we got there to go and help these people meet their tangible needs, we get there, and this lady says, listen, I just found out that because we have mold stuff in the building, like, you guys are not allowed to touch my house. You, you can't come in unless you have the proper paperwork and stuff. We've driven thousands of miles, we've spent thousands of dollars on all sorts of stuff, and, and we can't do anything. And suddenly we have a whole group, 
just sitting there. This guy named Jim Hamilton's there, and I go, Jim, he's kind of my, my confidant. I'm like, what do I do? He, he, he pulled the Jesus juke on me. He goes, have you tried praying? I'm like, yeah, let's try something a little more real life right here that can help me in this moment. He goes, let's just walk and pray and see what the Lord does. Uh, and I'm going to be full transparent. I said, we need to buy some time. That sounds good. Let's just, just a, a buffer right now. Let's do it. And so we start walking through this neighborhood. And Jim walks and comes across this old man. This old man named Eugene comes up. And he goes, hey, what are you guys doing? He goes, man, I'm just walking and praying. The guy says, you don't mind me asking, what are you praying for? He says, I'm just praying for the Lord to show us someone that we can serve. We brought a whole crew up. Our whole plans have changed. We have an entire week of nothing to do. We're looking for somebody to serve. This guy, Eugene, just started crying. And he said, I, I don't know if this is right or wrong. He goes, but I've been working on my house every day for the past two or three months on it. My wife is ill. I'm trying to get it back so she can move back into the house. We've been living in this FEMA trailer for a long time. And I'm praying, God, send me an army. He goes, I, I don't want to be overstepping that. He goes, but would you guys, would you guys be willing to come? I, I need the paint scraped off of my house. I need help doing this. And we said, yeah, and we came and helped and began to talk to him about the gospel and witness to him. Listen, it took just willing to meet a tangible need and being willing to walk around. It may be as simple as walking in your neighborhood and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What would happen if your entire community came to the Lord because of you? If your community became known for Jesus Christ and the changes and life changing going on, and not North Point, not our building, and coming to a house and here and doing it, what would happen if we start taking the mission out to the mission field? It all starts with this. It's serving to be heard. And so I, I challenge many of you in this room that are Christian believers that have done this right here. Listen, you are called to action. You are enlisted in God's army to do work. And it's time to start doing something. And there's some of you in the sound of my voice right now that have not heard a word I've said because right now you have a tangible need in your life that is so loud that you can't hear anything else. And maybe you need someone to help you. And I don't know what we're capable of doing or what we're able to do, but maybe you just need something right now. Here, here in a second, we're going to have a time of response. I encourage you to come talk to one of our leaders and just allow us to pray for you and see how we can meet a tangible need in whatever way we can. But we just want to pray for you. The rest of you, I encourage you to go and be that, be that person that meets the need. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray? Father God, I thank you so much for the example you've set in Scripture. I pray for those in the sound of my voice who are looking for what they can do for you. And right here is the answer, is to begin going and, and reaching the lost. God, help us to be a church that hungers to lead people to you. And I pray for those in the sound of my voice right now that have tangible needs in their own life. And they, they can't listen to a word I'm saying right now because they're, they're stressing about finances, their health, issues with their marriage, their kids parents they're having to take care of now as they've gotten older. And God, today, maybe it's going to be as simple as this. We're just going to say, hey, have you tried praying about it? Maybe there's some other way we can meet their tangible need where we can get people together to help in some other way. God, I pray you just help them just come and ask and help us to see that need. God, help us to make a difference in your world and realize there's people around us that are dying every day without knowing who you are. And we have the opportunity to share that with them. And so stir us to action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to have leaders. I've got J.D., one of our elders here. I'll be up here as well. We have Corey Whalen back here. We've got Steve Riley in the back as well. 
I'm going to ask some of their spouses to get back there if they are able to, to, to be as they're available as well. But if you need to respond, you need someone to pray for you, encourage you, or just hold you accountable to doing these things, listen, you, you come talk to us. We love nothing more to encourage you than that. And so I'm just going to allow us a time of worship and response. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing and worship together.